Happy Baptism Sunday. My goodness, we've got a lot going on today, don't we? It's a great Sunday. You know, during the Christmas season, we can think about a lot of different things, don't we? We think of family. We think of friends. We think of music, like the Christmas carols that we sang this morning, or the ones that you hear all the time in the stores, sometimes the really bad ones that you hear over the speakers in the stores. Grandma got run over by a reindeer, stuff like that. <laughs> you think of Christmas lights. You might think of gifts. You know what? I think even dogs sometimes think of Christmas gifts, like particularly this one. This dog says to the cat standing in its litter box as the family brings in the Christmas tree, Ha ha, smarty pants. Guess who else is getting his own indoor bathroom? <laughs> we might also think of gifts because of the story of the wise men who brought gifts to Jesus. Now, Scripture doesn't really support this scene that we see here, but this says it turns out that one of the wise men was way smarter than the other. One brought gold, one brought frankincense, and the other one brought disposable diapers. I think in the original Greek, myrrh means disposable diapers, doesn't it, Jim? Something like that. Now, in a more spiritual vein, you knew we would have to get to that eventually, right? During Christmas season, we may think of details of the story of the Incarnation. And that's what I want to do this morning. And I want to think about a very specific person that we don't think of as often. Sometimes we only think of this person at Christmas time. And even then, we don't really do it in a particularly deep way. Now, many of you uh, may be familiar with Mark Lowry. He's a Christian singer and comedian. And he wrote a great song. And if you heard his comedy, you'd think, wow, this is pretty deep for a guy who's so funny. But the song's called Mary, Did You Know? And we're going to hear that song at the end of today's message. Now, Mark Lowry wondered, in thinking about writing this song and the things that he wrote in the song, he wondered if when Mary was present at the crucifixion of her son Jesus, if she was remembering back to that day when Jesus was born, that we celebrate during the Christmas season. Did she remember touching his little hands and his little feet and counting his fingers and his toes like moms and dads like to do? Lowry says, I wonder if she realized then that those were the same fingers that had scooped out the oceans and formed the seas. Those little lips were the same lips that had spoken the world into existence. When Mary kissed her little baby, she wasn't just kissing another baby. She was kissing the face of God. What an awesome thing to ponder. And then 33 years later, she's standing on a hillside watching blood pour out from his veins from the side of her own son. What a great testimony to the fact that he wasn't just a great prophet. He wasn't just a great preacher. He wasn't just a great teacher. He was the virgin-born son of God. He was our savior. And he didn't just die for us. He died for his own mother. The baby boy she had delivered on that first Christmas was now on a cross delivering her. I don't know about you, but these are the kinds of things that really get me deeply thinking about the Incarnation and about the human instruments that God used. In a very real way, Mary was Jesus' first disciple. She was the first one to respond to his call on her life. She was the first one to say yes to his plan for her. Now Mark Lowry's questions in these thoughts and in this song ask a question that's worth us pondering this morning. What did she know and when did she know it? We can learn some of what she knew from a passage of Scripture that we read often, 
It's basically a significant part of the Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there because it's a long passage and you can read along with me. But uh, stick with me if you don't have your Bibles as I read through this passage from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her, and at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even as he said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. So Christmas time is really about the only time we ever think about or hear about Mary. There are many other figures in the Old and New Testament that we hear about a lot more often. When we think of biblical heroes, we'd certainly think of people like the Apostle Paul, wouldn't we? We'd think about Peter, and we'd think about most of the apostles, in fact. We're encouraged by the writer of Hebrews to think about a whole list of heroes of the faith and to consider their faith and to consider their perseverance. We might think of many Old Testament figures like Moses or Noah or Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, or Ruth and Esther, or some of the great prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Why is that? Why can we think about these people mentioned often in Scripture, 
We can find myriads of books and articles about them, but not Mary. I think it's because we're not Catholics. I think it's because we're not Catholics. And consequently, because we're not Catholics, we have a fear of going overboard and honoring Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know that many Roman Catholics do, in fact, venerate Mary to the point of worship. Now, the title of this morning's message illustrates this. Those of you who have a Catholic background know this. It's from a prayer in the rosary. And Catholics call this prayer simply the Hail Mary. It goes, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Well, so far, so good. Nothing wrong with that. Hailing someone can be simple honor, just as we might honor Peter or Paul or John the Apostle. And certainly Mary was blessed among women. The angel said so. Her cousin Elizabeth said so. After all, God chose to give birth through her to the Word made flesh, God the Son, Jesus. But then here's an illustration of why those who are not Catholic shy away from Mary, because the Hail Mary prayer doesn't end just there. The next part of the Hail Mary says this, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Yes, such a prayer, if we understand the gospel at all, should cause red flags to go up in our spirit. In this, we're praying to Mary, and we're asking her to pray for us. So the first part of the Hail Mary is just honoring her, but now we're being encouraged in the second part of the Hail Mary to pray to her. And we know that Scripture tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. So we cannot pray to Mary, only to God, through his chosen mediator, Jesus. We recognize that only God is worthy of our worship. We recognize that only God is the one who can truly hear and respond to our prayers. And so in reaction to that false understanding, we tend to forget and minimize Mary. The, sub the subject of Mary is something that I've thought a lot about through the years. That's because, again, I was raised Catholic, and then at Christmas we hear about her a lot, obviously, in connection with the birth of Jesus. But we never really examine much of what the Word of God has to say about her. And again, I believe this is clearly a, re a reaction to the Catholic understanding of Mary, an example of how sometimes when something is taken to an extreme, our response is to go to the opposite extreme. We overreact in fear rather than bringing a balance to the understanding of who Mary is, why she's important, and what we as believers in her son can learn from her. So what do we do? We purge our sermons. We purge our literature of significant reference to her. I did a quick search on christianbook.com. It's a website where you can order all kinds of Christian books, almost anything. And it showed some books about Mary, and most of those were related to Christmas, but it showed hundreds of titles related to Ruth or Esther or Deborah. I've heard about Mary all my life growing up because I was raised Catholic. Let me recount to you my Mary credentials. This is my grandmother in the middle. This is my dad's mom. She was Irish Catholic to the core, and her name was Mary. In Batavia, New York, as a young boy, I attended St. Mary's grade school. And this is not a picture of me when I was in grade school. <laughs> when I finished eighth grade, I went to Notre Dame High School. Do you know what Notre Dame means? Who knows what Notre Dame means? It's French for Our Lady. 
Okay, so it's named after, again, Mary. I grew up, I was confirmed, I received my first communion, and I was an altar boy at St. Mary's Catholic Church. So I have deep, long-standing Mary credentials, okay? Now, despite this, being raised Catholic, I learned that I didn't really know everything I needed to know about the Catholic understanding of Mary, ironically, until I came to ORU. Now, when I was a freshman at ORU, Chuck Farrah actually came, long before I was at TCF, and he spoke in a brother-sister wing devotion. It just happened to be, this was a brother-sister wing devotion event, and it just happened to be on December 8th, which was yesterday, by the way, and in the Catholic Church, December 8th is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. I had always thought, through about 18 years at that point, as a Catholic, I'd always thought it was simply a celebration of the virgin conception of Jesus. That's a simple fact that it's attested to in Scripture that Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. And that's something all Christians affirm, not just Catholics. What I didn't know until then is that the Catholic understanding of the Immaculate Conception is much more than this. I didn't know until then, until Chuck Farah told me this, that Catholics mark this day as a celebration uh, not only of Mary's virgin conception of Jesus, but also her sinless life. Now, there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that Mary was sinless. The only sinless human being who ever walked the earth was Jesus. In researching this message, I found most of the information about Mary to fall into two categories. First of all, we see the Catholic idolization of Mary. There's a lot of information out there on that, about supposed personal supernatural appearances, as well as about the Immaculate Conception and supposedly Mary's sinless life, the kinds of things we've already looked at. What's more, there's also some questionable at best, some heretical at worst interpretations of Scripture that add to the cult-like adoration of Mary. The other category of most of the information about Mary that's available on books, it's available on the Internet, is information that refuting the Catholic understanding of Mary. And some of that goes to the opposite extreme and probably reflects some of the fear that Protestants have in remembering this important biblical fixture, uh, figure. <clears throat> so even recognizing that there is serious error in that understanding of Mary, we can lose a lot of what God has to say to us by neglecting to look at Mary and what Scripture does tell us of her. A close look at the life of Mary in the Word reveals a woman of faith, a woman of humility, and a woman of obedience. And that brings us back to where we were at the beginning of this message, thinking about things. Here in the person of Mary, we have one of the most central figures of human history. We have a young woman, probably in her mid-teens, on whose response the whole story of redemption depends. In some ways, we really can't even begin to understand. What if Mary had responded differently? What if, after she was told by the angel Gabriel that she would bear a son named Jesus, she hadn't responded as she did in what we read earlier from Luke chapter 1? She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, of course, God knew her character, and in his omniscience, he knew how she would respond. But think about some of the questions that Mark Lowry thought about in his song and made memorable in his song, Mary, Did You Know? 
Did Mary have a clue about the miracles that her baby boy, her son, would someday perform? Did she know he would walk on water? Did she know he would calm storms? Would, did she know that he would heal the blind, the lame, and the deaf? At first, probably not. Her first clue about the consequences of her decision beyond what Gabriel told her and what she knew herself from the scriptures about the Messiah was in Luke chapter 2. And we read there that the child's father and mother, speaking of Jesus, the child, marveled about what was said about him by Simeon, okay? And then it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's what Mary heard. In Luke chapter 2, we see twice that Mary pondered things in her heart, that she treasured up, it says in some versions, these things in her heart. She thought about the significance of the things that God was doing and he was choosing to use her to do those things and how she was involved. <coughs> Sorry. That's good. I, that was done purposely to make sure all of you are awake and hearing. <laughs> this time of year I'm often prompted by some of the Christmas songs that we hear to think about certain questions. And in Mark Lowry's song, he asked, did you know? And he asked a lot of things. Mary, did you know? Did you know that your baby boy would someday walk on water? Did you know that he would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that he came to make you new? Did you know that the child that you've delivered will soon deliver you? Did you know that he walked with angels? Did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? Did you know that he was Lord of all creation? Did you know that he was heaven's perfect plan? Did you know that the sleeping child you're holding, think about it, moms and dads, the sleeping child you're holding, isn't that a great moment when you're a parent? They're not crying. You don't have to change a diaper. It's a great moment, okay? Did you think about it, Mary? Did you know that this child you're holding is the great I am? The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. I wonder a lot of other things as I read about the account of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to announce Jesus' birth. <clears throat> as I read about the shepherds finding the stable where the baby Jesus was. As I read about the prophetic words of Simeon that we read a moment ago to Mary. As I read the only story that we have of Jesus as a young boy. As we look at these things, we see quickly that we can really learn a lot from the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Consider our opening passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 1. It tells us that Mary was afraid and greatly troubled. Now, that was pretty common when angels appeared for people to uh, be afraid. And the angel would almost always say what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, I think such an appearance would scare you and me too. If an angel showed up in all of his glory, that's not something you see every day. Yet this verse tells us that Mary was troubled not at what the angel appeared to be, but she was troubled at what he said. Isn't that interesting? The message paraphrase renders it like this. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. And after all, what did the angel say to her? You are highly favored. He said, the Lord is with you. He said, blessed are you among women. Now, that doesn't sound too bad. 
but she was perhaps maybe just a little bit skeptical. And then the Gabriel also told her that you'll give birth to a son, that he will be great, that he'll be the son of the highest, that he'll have the throne of David, he'll reign over the house of Jacob, and that his kingdom will never end. Yet it's really interesting. Okay, Mary's hearing all these things for the first time, this angel in all of its glory, okay? And her response to these amazing prophetic words about the son that she would bear, her initial response was something very much more practical. But I'm a virgin. How can this be? I'm a virgin. It's almost pedestrian. What? Wait a minute. Did you get all the rest of this stuff? You're going to give birth to a son and he'll be great. And he'll be the son of... But I'm a virgin. How about that? So the angel gave Mary a very practical answer. Practical but mysterious. He told Mary that this child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Didn't tell her how. Didn't tell her how all that works, but he just told her. He told her that nothing is impossible for God. And after that, we hear from Mary one of the greatest statements of faith and obedience in the entire Word of God. And this is one thing we can learn from Mary this morning. Her second response, after the angel's very brief explanation, which really, if you think about it, wasn't a very good full explanation. Wouldn't it have begged more questions from you? Well, but, 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 but. But really? Wow, huh? Her second response was quite different. We don't see that initial concern or fear or skepticism in her second statement, even if it might have been on her mind. What did she say? She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said. The King James Version says, may it be unto me according to your word. What does this reveal about Mary, and what can we learn from this? She was a woman of conviction. She was a woman that believed the scriptures were true. She was a woman of conviction that enabled her to make such a statement of faith despite not really knowing what all this obedience would mean. Because, again, we ask the questions, Mary, did you know? What did you know? When did you know these things? Okay? She couldn't possibly have known all those things based on what the angel told her or what even her cousin Elizabeth told her. And to stand by this conviction for her whole life, Despite the angel's words about Mary being favored, highly honored, and blessed among women, there was a cost for Mary. The first cost was her reputation. Think about this. We don't have a record of the reaction that everyone who heard this incredible story must have had, right? But we can certainly assume some things from what we do read as well as from our understanding of human nature. Think about if something like this happened to you or you heard a story like this. Our understanding also of the culture that Mary lived in. First, there was her betrothed. She was engaged to Joseph, right? And he, at first, didn't believe her. He didn't believe her. Can we be honest? That's kind of an understandable reaction, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, huh? Really? Huh? The Gospel of Matthew says that Joseph was going to divorce her quietly until a dream confirmed what Mary had told him. But what about her parents? What about Joseph's parents? What about her friends? What about others in the community? <clears throat> there's no record that they had confirming dreams too. Maybe they did, but there's no record that that happened. I don't think they did. The news of Mary's pregnancy couldn't have been too well received. After all, it was a small town. It was a close-knit town. where Probably everybody knew everybody else's business. And now here's this young girl engaged to be married, and she turns up pregnant? What is wrong with this picture? Betrothal was a very much more serious commitment then 
the law considered a betrothed woman who became pregnant as an adulteress worthy of stoning. Wow. Joseph could have legally required that. He could have insisted on that. The angel never promised Mary that Joseph or anyone else would understand. It would have been nice if Gabriel had said to her, well, you know, Mary, if anybody really doubts you, I'll take care of their doubts. Just send them to me. I'll, I'll clear things up. He didn't say that. So did Mary's statement of faith, may it happen to me just as you have said, cover all these questions? She couldn't have possibly known all the things that would take place. She just trusted God. She just trusted God. Perhaps, though, we see that her statement of faith did in some ways embrace the unknown, at least in part because of what she said just prior to that, I am the Lord's servant. The word form there is a form of the Greek word doulos. We all know that means slave. And Jim Garrett points out in his book, The Doulos Principle, this is a word that's used 125 times in the New Testament for describing the relationship between God and the believer. So Mary's attitude here is one that we can and we should, as Jesus' followers, as those who are redeemed by him, we should emulate. It's the attitude of a doulos. And I think it's important to remember in light of Mary's clear indication of, her acceptance of, her servanthood, some of the implications of this doulos principle. For one, the doulos principle levels all of us. So here was Mary. She was the highly favored, according to Scripture, mother of Jesus. She was blessed among women, yet she was subject to the very same sufferings, the very same trials, the very same pain as all of the rest of us. Her favor in being chosen as the instrument through which God would bring into the world the word made flesh resulted in pain that she wouldn't likely have freely chosen on her own, except from it being part of God's plan for her life. Secondly, the doulos principle means that the choice of life circumstances and the fruit of our labor is not determined by us, but it's determined by our master. Now, I don't think Mary was a masochist. I can't believe she would have chosen to subject herself to the shame, first of all, of people misunderstanding her pregnancy. I think we can assume that there were at least some people who counted the months from her wedding to the baby's birth and said, let's see, December, November, hmm, this doesn't somehow add up. I also can't believe she wanted, as Jesus grew, a son that some people thought was crazy. She certainly didn't want to watch her son die on the cross. Philip Yancey wrote, Today as I read the accounts of Jesus' birth, I tremble to think of the fate of the world resting on the response of two rural teenagers. How many times did Mary review the angel's words as she felt the Son of God kicking the walls of her uterus? How many times did Joseph second-guess his own encounter with an angel? Was it just a dream? as he endured the hot shame of living among villagers who could plainly see the changing shape of his fiancée. We also know nothing of Jesus' grandparents. What must they have felt? Did they, like many grandparents today, graciously offer to take that child under their roof? Here's a thought I've pondered from time to time during the Christmas season. You know, our Christmas, the way we kind of celebrate it now, is very cleaned up and sanitized. We've cleaned it up. We've made it sentimental. At Christmas, we don't usually think of any hint 
of the scandal that Joseph and Mary must have felt to the point that we forget the kind of faith that it must have taken to have this attitude expressed by Mary, I am the Lord's servant or slave. Was she fully aware of all this? All the things we know now that she went through, certainly not completely, she couldn't have been because she wasn't omniscient. But her heart's attitude and her convictions about the God that she served carried her through. Mary had that attitude, and it was reflected by her very first response to the angel's news. It's a life response that we can all attain to. I am the Lord's servant. Think about the difference between Mary and her relative Elizabeth. Both had a birth that was foretold by an angelic visit. Yet everyone was excited about Elizabeth's miracle. Well, Mary had to hide it. We don't always think of Mary when we think of biblical examples of faith and perseverance. Yet here she is, living out her faith in God. Why did Mary go see Elizabeth so quickly? It says she quickly went, right? Did she want to confirm what the angel had told her to somehow strengthen her faith? Maybe. Did she want to go rejoice with Elizabeth? Maybe. Did she want to get away from Nazareth where her pregnancy was a little bit harder to explain? Did she know she'd be able to talk of this experience more freely with Elizabeth, whom she must have known was a woman of God? Now, Elizabeth quickly confirmed her experience immediately. The baby left in her womb, right? John. This had to strengthen Mary's faith more, don't you think? It was definitely a divine appointment. Elizabeth greeted her with words similar to what Gabriel told her. Elizabeth called her the mother of my Lord. Wow. She said, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord said to her will be accomplished. Mary's response was longer than after the angel had visited her. We read that earlier in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46. They call that the Magnificat, and that means glorifies. Mary's response to all these things that she knew, and of course there's all the things that she couldn't have known yet, but it was to glorify God. After the stories related to the angel's announcement and then the birth of Jesus, we don't really see much more of Mary in Scripture. That's one reason we always think of her at Christmas and maybe not not so much at other times. We see her mentioned, for example, but not by name, just as the mother of Jesus. When she and Joseph inspired the Home Alone movies by leaving Jesus behind at the temple when he was 12. You probably didn't know that, did you, that that was the inspiration? Just kidding. She was present at the marriage in Cana where Jesus performed his first miracle at the beginning of his public ministry. And then we see her mentioned when she tried to speak with Jesus along with others of the family when he was preaching to a crowd in a country place. We next read her, read about her there at the crucifixion of her son where she was commended by her dying son to the care of the Apostle John. And finally, she's also mentioned as one of among those praying in the upper room at Jerusalem after Jesus' ascension. But we learn enough about her from just these accounts of Scripture, especially from the early things that we've read, to form some clear impressions and to learn some things. She was clearly a person of great faith, a person of great conviction. She trusted God, even when she could not have possibly understood all that was going on. You have to wonder how many times did she hang on to, did she think about the words of the angel, the word of God to her as Jesus grew into a man and then carried out his redemptive plan for 
humanity. Isn't that what we have to do sometimes, folks? We have to hang on to the Word of God. We hang, have to hang on to what we know to be His character, what we know to be true about Him in the midst of things that we couldn't have possibly anticipated. Mary was a woman of obedience. She was a servant, a slave of the Lord by her own declaration. She was a woman who recognized God's blessing in her life, God's favor. But here's the other thing, folks, which should give us encouragement. She was also pretty normal. She was pretty normal. She was young. She was poor. She was female, and so to the people of her time, that might make her seem pretty much unusable by God, especially for such a significant role in redemptive history. In her response to Elizabeth's words to her, the Magnificat, which we read earlier, Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. She had a relationship with God, one of service, faith, and obedience. She willingly submitted to God's plan, even not knowing all that that plan would mean in her life as it was carried out. She was the first disciple of Jesus. She was a learner like us and a godly example. So as we see now manger scenes here at Christmas time, and we sing the many wonderful Christmas carols and songs that remind us and help us think through the amazing truths of the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let's also think about Mary, a regular person, really in many ways just like us. But she was asked to fill a very critical role in God's plan of redemption. Let's think about her willing spirit. Let's think about her obedient heart. Let's think about her faith. They are all things that we can and should aspire to as modern-day disciples of Jesus, just like the mother of Jesus, his very first disciple. Let's think about these things now as we hear this song in closing.
Thank you, Bill. That was good.